and uh, we're happy to have you. You uh, come uh, share with us and close as you see fit. Good morning. Hope, uh, how many of you showed up early today? Forgot to set your clocks back an hour. I like this time of year. You set your clocks back an hour, except my, I forgot to set my dog's clock back. And so she was up at her normal time. <laughs> and since I stayed up late last night watching football because I thought I had an extra hour of sleep, I got up early this morning. But it's good to be here with you this morning. Steve called me a couple of weeks ago and asked me if I'd be willing to fill in, and I'm always willing to come and speak to you guys whenever I get an opportunity. Uh, I just pray that God will use me as his messenger this morning. I hope that you all pray for me that, that uh, I'll just speak his words and, and not mine. Uh, let's go to the word, Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we just love you. We just thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and, and worship in your house and, and, and just, Father, just look to you for guidance in everything that we do in our lives. And, Father, that's what this message is about this morning it's, it is the word of God and what it says about how we're supposed to react in certain situations. And, Father, I just pray that you use me as a mouthpiece this morning to speak your word to each of us. In, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, two important things are going to happen this Tuesday. Number one, our, our country will basically be choosing the direction in which it will be going for, about, I think, the next generation. I believe that that is a strong uh, thing that will happen. But I think just as important, or at least will make us more happy, regardless of which way things go Tuesday, is the political ads will stop. <laughs> at least for a year. At least for a year, then the presidential cycle of elections will start back up and the political ads will as well. I, I tell you, every, every time we get into this, this time of the, near elections, it breaks my heart to see how hurtful people can be just for the purpose of power. It just breaks my heart. And, and, and I can't stop thinking about two years ago, and, and it just, that broke my heart. I, you know, regardless of what, whether you were happy with the elections or you were disappointed with the elections last time, what broke my heart was the reaction of the people in this country. It, it made me think back to the 60s. Y'all remember those days. Some of you can. Remember back in the 60s when we had the race riots and we had the anti-war riots. We had assassinations, three assassinations in this country in the 60s. You know, it was a rough, it was a rough decade. Uh, a lot of people don't like to go back and think of those things, but it was a pretty rough and tough decade. And it really was. But as you think back to what happened after the election last year and, and all the rhetoric that has taken place since then, I can only wonder what will happen this time if things don't go the way some people want it or some people do. How should Christians respond is the question I ask. You know, anytime I have a question about how Christians should react, I can only think of one place to go look, and that's in Scripture. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go into Scripture, and we're going to try to answer that question. How should Christians respond if our elected leaders begin to move America away from what we think it should be based on our Constitution and move it into a direction of socialism or Marxism? So as I researched what God's Word says, I was, I was actually kind of surprised. It, 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 sometimes there are scriptures in principle, there are principles in Scripture. There are precepts. There are commands that we are given that sometimes I just don't understand. I, and sometimes, I'm going to be honest, I don't always agree with what they say. 
But, but it's these times like this, though, that it's important to understand that regardless of how we feel about things, God's will is and always will be perfect no matter how we view it or how we feel about it. God's will will always be perfect. So let's turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. We'll go through verse 7 <clears throat> this morning. Y'all forgive me. I cut my grass Friday and bad thing to do when it's dry as it is. And I, I've got my allergies acting up on me. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Scripture says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom guard, honor, honor to whom honor. Let's pray again. Father, once again, we have to come before you this morning because this is tough for me sometimes to, to get a grasp on and, and exactly understand because my personal emotions, my personal feelings, my personal values get in the way sometimes of what your word says. And I pray this morning that you will open our hearts to receive the message that your scripture teaches and help us understand what we're supposed to do as Christians when things don't necessarily go our way. So, Father, I pray that you just open our hearts to receive this message this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Y'all remember the story in Matthew when, when there were some Pharisees there. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to trick him into saying something that would be treasonous. Uh, they were trying to get him to say basically that, that they shouldn't pay taxes to Rome. So what he did was he asked for a coin and asked the Pharisees, whose face do you see on the coin? And, of course, in verse 22, or chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 21, they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And Peter speaks of this too. In 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, <clears throat> 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, it says, Therefore submit, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." I think when you read what it says in Romans and you read what it says here in 1 Peter, uh, that the Bible is very clear that Christians are responsible to obey civil governments as a rule. However, I also believe that Scripture teaches very clearly 
if the government ever commands us to do something that violates God's laws or forbids us from doing what God commands, we are to obey God rather than man. As believers, though, I also think that it's extremely important. We need to be very certain there is a clear-cut, incontrovertible divine principle involved before we be engaged in civil disobedience. Some examples from Scripture. Let's look at the, at the story in Exodus, verse, Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. This is the story of Moses and the Hebrew midwives. Exodus 1.15 says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Now, let's, let's set the back story here a little bit. Uh, Moses, you know, I mean, Joseph, you know, had, had, had brought his family into Egypt. And, and his family started to grow. And it started to grow and, and, and multiply in, 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 into the, I don't know how many. They, some say millions. Some say hundreds of thousands. You know, it depends on who you want to talk. In other words, they were getting big as a group, as a, as a family. And, and so Pharaoh and his, and his uh, leaders started to fear them a little bit because, you know, these guys could turn into an army and they could take us over. So what they said was, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children, children alive. These midwives were commanded by the king to kill any male Hebrews at birth. And the midwives, again, it says, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the male, male children alive. They obeyed God rather than the king, and out of this came Moses. Y'all remember the story of Moses? Mother wrapped, you know, put him in a, in a reed basket, put pitch around the bottom to keep it water dry, and put it out in the river, and, it was, she was, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Here's another illustration that comes from Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and again, here a little backstory, Daniel, if you remember, was brought in from uh, from from Israel. He was brought in as a, as a captive, and he was placed in the king's court. He and several others, you know, three of them that we have, the others we know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all went through training in the king's court to become leaders, and and because they were smart and intelligent and good looking, and and so it, when when the uh, uh, some of the people that were also leaders in the court that were from Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, they got a little scared of, of Daniel and his friends. They, they got a little nervous, and so they said, what can we do to, to get Daniel in trouble? What can we get to do to get him to be removed from his official capacity? So they came together, and they said, well, if we get a, the king to command that nobody can worship anything or anybody except King Darius for 30 days then we'll catch him because he's going to worship his God. And we know that. So verse 10 of Daniel 6 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. This is not something he started doing. This is something he continued doing that he had been doing. 
So when the edict came down that none should be worshipped or petitioned except King Darius for 30 days, Daniel again, he went home, he knelt before God, prayed to him, and, and, and people saw him, but he did this every day. This wasn't something new. But because of his defiance, Daniel was cast into the den of lions. And y'all know the story. <laughs> the, the, you know, God came in and he closed the mouths of the lions and saved Daniel. And then the next morning, the king couldn't sleep because he, was, he knew he had been trapped, but he didn't have a choice. He had to do what his edict said. So he threw Daniel in the lion's den. He got up early the next morning, and he came down and said, Daniel, has your God saved you? And Daniel said, yes, sir. I'm still here. So he brought him up. But see, these are two examples of the type of clear-cut situation where civil disobedience may be in order. But the key thing to note is the attitude of the midwives and Daniels. They did not defy the government belligerently or with malice. Rather, they were the picture of grace and humility. When, when the question of civil disobedience arises, we tend to forget that when we are obeying God rather than men, we are supposed to be godly men and women graciously reflecting the spirit of Jesus Christ. Samuel, you know, before Israel got a king, they had judges. And, and God was their ruler. And he, he would speak his commands through the prophets. They didn't need anybody to lead them. But they were hard-headed, stubborn people, kind of like me sometimes. But there was a time when Israel had, there was actually no government. Again, the judges ruled over, or the judges judged them. God ruled over them and spoke through the prophets. So in, but in 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 20, Samuel tried to warn them because they kept saying, we want a king. And he kept trying to say, you don't understand what you're really saying here. Let me, let me tell you what's going to happen if you get a king. So here it is, 1 Samuel 8, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and, he will, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Samuel tried his best to warn them that they did not need another king. They had the king of kings. He tried his best to make them understand they only needed God to lead them. But in verse 19 and 20, the Lord granted their request. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, <coughs> but we will have a king over us. 
that we may also be like all the nations that are our king, may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I wish they had listened to God and maybe we would have that type of leadership today where God was our leader. He would speak through his prophets and we would have judges to judge us. But questions that Christians ask when, when we get into situations like we did two years ago where maybe things didn't go necessarily the way some people thought they should or and, and maybe they went the, the totally opposite way of others were wanting. So here's some questions they may ask. Why should I submit to a government that I believe is moving in the wrong direction? I love my country and want to cooperate with the political system, but I'm struggling to understand what the Bible says on this subject. What should I do? This is where I've been. I love my country. I do. I served in the military for 20 years. I'd do it again, but they say I'm too old. I tell them I can fly a desk as good as anybody. But here's another question. How in the world can the Apostle Paul tell Christians to, to submit to the authorities like he did in Romans 13, 1 through 7, when we know for a fact that many human governments are corrupt and unjust? What should a believer do when he feels that his own government is ungodly? Golly, there's plenty of that around here. The Bible, however, does in fact command Christians to submit to the governing authorities and to pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. First Timothy 2.2. These words are even more striking when you realize that Paul, when he penned these words, was in prison himself during the reigns of two of the most notorious tyrants in history, Nero and Caligula. The point is clear. If we can do so without denying Christ or compromising our faith, we must always strive to cooperate with the ruling powers. Again, if we can do so without denying Christ or compromising our faith. That doesn't mean that we will endorse necessarily policies or approve of situations or activities that our government takes. This is especially true in a democratic society where it is the duty of responsible citizens to examine public servants with a discerning eye and a critical eye. Nevertheless, Scripture teaches that scripture, Christians are responsible to uphold biblical righteousness in a hostile culture while also expecting, res, res, expressing respect for its leadership. The Westminster Confession of Faith provides us with some valuable insight into this problem. And this is where, this is a little deep, and I'll try to explain a little bit what it says. It's in chapter 3, section 1 of God's eternal decree which the framers of this document write the following words. God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own, own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. What are these these words mean. Sounds like a lawyer wrote it, doesn't it? Simply this. God is sovereign over human events. Y'all believe that? 
How many of you believe in a big God? I mean a big God. I mean a God who created everything that exists. I mean a God who can hold each single atom together throughout the entire universe. We still don't know how big the universe is, but God created it all. And he's in control of it all. And he can control all of that without any problems. And he can speak a new galaxy into existence and boom, it'll be there. We get scientists a lot of times that confuse us, especially even when I was a young man in school. I'd get confused on, on things. They say, well, you know, evolution is how things happen. Well, you know, things do evolve. I agree with that. I don't think I came from a monkey. I don't, my wife might think different. I don't think I came from some blob or goo in, in some swamp somewhere and whatever. I believe scripture teaches us that God created man and woman. I believe he created us in his image. I believe in a very big God. Because I believe in a big God, I believe and have faith that God is indeed sovereign over human events whether we like them or not. At the same time, he gives people the freedom to make their own choices and go their own way. Sometimes I'm glad he did that, and sometimes I wish he hadn't. I've made some really stupid mistakes in my life. In other words, no one, I believe this, I truly believe this based on the word of God, no one can become king emperor, governor, president, representative, or senator apart from God's will. But this doesn't mean that possession of political power amounts to a stamp of approval from God. It doesn't mean that. That's where the will of the creatures and the liberty and contingency of a whole host of secondary causes come into play. After all, the Bible calls, he calls King Nebuchadnezzar God's servant, yet King Nebuchadnezzar was not a godly man. He was an evil man. He was an evil king. But he was God's servant at that time to do God's will at that time. The long and short of it is this. God is always in charge. Always. You might say, Lester, how can you possibly say that when we've had people like, like Hitler and Stalin and Mao Zedong and, and people like that that have just murdered millions of people. How can you say that God is in charge when, when he allows all those things to happen for the same reason I know that he created the universe? And for the same reason I know he allows me to make mistakes. He allows me to make wrong decisions. But he's still God. And he's still going to do his purpose for this world. Understand that this world is condemned. The whole world is already condemned. We're just waiting for the final judgment to come down. John 3.16, we always love to say that. That's my favorite verse in the Bible because it's gospel in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then it goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If, he's got, if the world's got to be saved, that means it's already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn it. It's already condemned. He came to save the world. 
We must not trust, we may not trust the governing authorities, but we must trust God and his overall plan for humankind. I read this. I studied this. I prayed over this. I don't like what I hear sometimes. I don't agree with everything scripture says, but it's not my words, it's God's words. Under normal circumstances, we can demonstrate that trust by cooperating with the state, paying our taxes honestly, participating in the system and staying out of trouble. But this doesn't mean that we should be blind. We can never forget that the power of human rulers is subject to a higher power, that being Almighty God. It is is contingent upon the absolute sovereignty of God. I do believe in the full sovereignty of Almighty God. I, I will never change that no matter what anybody tries to tell me. I believe that God is in control of every situation every day, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it. When you look at God's overall will, it's perfect. And it's not my decision or my way to change God's mind. Thank God he changed mine. Should a situation arise then in which two authorities come into clear conflict with one another, Christians must obey God rather than men. But let's hope those situations are few and far between. A few weeks ago, I was, I was offered an opportunity to uh, go down to Valdosta State Prison and teach a class down there. Uh, three weeks I was down there with, with these prisoners and some of those guys will never see outside of the prison walls again in the rest of their life. One guy in my class, he had two, life, two consecutive life terms with, without opportunity for parole. Another guy was in there, he had a life term, but he could, he could apply for parole. He had 21 year, more years before he could apply for parole. Some will be getting out as early as next June. But the one thing that I liked about this particular group Every one of them in there proclaimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, they were saved in prison. You tell me God's still not in charge. What a place to be saved. Knowing that you, some of them, they're going to be there for the rest of their life. Young guys. This, the one guy that's going to be there forever, he was in his like early 30s. I didn't ask him what he did, but it wasn't nice, that's for sure, to get that type of sentence. And there were guys in there, a couple of them volunteered what they did. And, and none of it was good. Valdosta, I didn't realize Valdosta State Prison is a, what they call a, a close security prison. You might want to call it maximum security. Uh, they, have, they have some of the bad boys down there. And uh, when I left that, that prison after that last day, I couldn't help but pray for those young men. They all claimed that were in that class. I had 17 of them, and every one of them claimed to be Christians today. That's because we have a sovereign God who can change the hearts and minds of man at a whim. All he has to do is send his Holy Spirit to convict. And when he does that, I don't know many people that can withstand that. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you know it. If you're a Christian today, one thing that you can know for sure that you're a Christian is when you do sin. And, and I will always say that sin is a choice. 
Sin is a decision that you make to either violate God's law or not. You might say, well, I did it out of, I did it out of anger. Or I did it out of whatever. You still made a choice. That's hard to, it's hard to swallow sometimes when, when I look at things. My wife says that the two things that I'm really bad at is I have a quick temper and I'm very selfish. And she's right on both counts. Hate that. But she is. She's been out vacationing for the last two weeks. She's been away from me, so that's a vacation. <clears throat> uh, she's been over in England. She's flying back. In fact, they boarded the plane before we came in here this morning. and She'll be heading back to Atlanta and then eventually get back to Valdosta tomorrow and then come on home. And me and my dog are waiting anxiously. So when I leave here today, I got to go home, make sure everything's in place, you know, <laughs> make sure all the stuff's in the right spot, all the clothes washed, dishes washed, dried, put away, you know, the floor's cleaned and everything. So when she comes home tomorrow, she won't have too much to yell at me about. But that's, but you see, I understand that because that's the kind of thing that God does. He loves us so much that when we really love God. We want to do things that are right. And when we fail in doing that, we understand that God's not going to be happy because of this. And the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us. So what I'm praying for out of this message this Tuesday is Tuesday night about 11 o'clock, midnight maybe, we'll kind of know what the results are going to be in this election. And there's going to be some happy people and there's going to be some not so happy people. And there's going to be some angry people. It's my prayer, though, that as Christians, we obey God's word. Don't say, I'm not going to sit here and say that if things don't go my way, I won't get upset, because I will. And I'll have to sit down on my knees and, and, and pray hard to be able to follow God's word, because it's going to be tough. But at the same time, all I have to do is remember God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. And God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. And he's in control of everything. Y'all agree with that? Let's close with prayer. Father, we just love you, and we just pray that everything we do reflects Jesus Christ in our lives. And Father, I'm not going to lie to you. If, if the results don't go our way this week, it's, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard because I, I won't understand why that is, and, and I won't change. But we have to wait another two years. But if things go our way, Father, we don't want to boast and, 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 and go around being being, you know, gooder than you type thing. We still want to be Christian. We still want to reflect the love of God. Those, Father, who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that should be our goal and our mission. It's our goal and our mission to carry out the great commandment, which is, Father, to make disciples. And we can't make disciples, Father, until we talk to people about Jesus. So, Father, whether we win Tuesday, whether we lose Tuesday, Whatever the case may be, Father, we must believe and understand you're still in control, you're still in charge, and the lost people of this world need Jesus. And that's our mission. Because one day this world will end, 
that one day our life on this world will come to a close and we'll enter into eternity. And we're either going to go to heaven, Father, to be with you forever, or we're going to go to hell if I are in damnation forever. There's a lot of people that don't like to preach that anymore, Father, but the scripture teaches it very clearly. Jesus spoke of hell more than heaven. And Father, we must understand that the lost people need Jesus, and that should be the goal and mission of every church member today. Thank you, Father. I pray that you bless these, these people, bless this church, bless, bless Steve and his wife when they come back here. And just, Father, just continue to bless in this area. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.